again, and welcome back to Pastor Life Podcast from Pinnacle Leadership Associates. I'm David Brown, Pinnacle Associate and Pastor of the Welcome Table in Rock Hill, South Carolina. And I'm Rhonda Blevins, Pinnacle Associate and Pastor of Chapel by the Sea on Clearwater Beach, Florida. And on the pod today, we continue Season 4 of Pastor Life, Teach Us Something We Don't Know, where Rhonda and I bring on some of our Pinnacle colleagues and invite them to teach us something we don't know. Yeah, so we've looked at self-care for clergy with Reverend Dr. Beth Yarbrough. We've looked at trauma-informed ministry with Reverend Peggy Hames. And today we have something maybe on on the lighter side, a little more playful and creative. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to having Reverend D. Vaughn here on the podcast to teach us about monologues as sermons. And yeah. interestingly, D. was my pastor, the pastor of my home church when I was off at college primarily, but when I would be back in town, he was my preacher for a while, and I was the recipient of a few of these monologue sermons. Oh, well, that's cool. So that was, what, 100 years ago or so? At least. <laughs> D. was much younger then. <laughs> David, have you ever delivered a monologue sermon? I I have never delivered a 100% monologue sermon, but I've had a few sermons that started off taking the point of view of a character and then moved on from there into into a more traditional sermon. So I really am looking forward to learning something today. Yeah. I've um, done a couple of monologue sermons that were just straight monologue sermons. Um, Let's see. I believe I've done one on Mary, the mother of Jesus, and... I think I've done one on Mary Magdalene as well. You and the Marys, huh? On the Marys, you know, is is there another female biblical character name out there? I don't know. (laughs) But today we have kind of an expert in the field of monologue sermons. Uh, Reverend Dr. D. Vaughn has been a student minister. He's been a campus ministry intern. Uh, He's been a hospital and fire department chaplain, an interim pastor. He's taught at both the university and graduate level, and he's also been the senior pastor of five congregations. He's known as a creative communicator and uses a variety of preaching styles, including his favorite, the dramatic monologue. He loves to coach ministers and strengthening their presentation skills. So what a gift for us here on Pastor Life Podcast. Yeah, I'm so excited to have Dee here. So let's welcome to the podcast, Reverend Dee Vaughn. Dr. D. Vaughn, welcome to Pastor Life Podcast. Well, thank you. I've looked forward to being here with you. So would you add anything to our brief introduction? I know there's more to you than what I read from your bio on the Pinnacle Leadership Associates website. Well, that's a, that's a lot of the obituary stuff. <laughs> um, but my wife, Linda, and I have three children, all grown, and uh, five grandchildren, including a brand new one. He's about two weeks old now, and his name is James, and we're just enjoying the Dickens of him yeah. right now. Welcome to the world, James. Yeah. And I also know that in addition to monologue sermons, another element of Dee's creativity is that he plays at least the guitar and banjo and sings from time to time. He's just bringing all the creativity to us on Pastor Life Podcast today. I, I use the stringed instruments to break up a crowd. I I use other things to try to draw one. Yeah. 
Well, um, let me ask you for starters, D. What was it like having David as a parishioner? <laughs> oh my goodness! You know, we all have our crosses to bear <laughs> in this life, but we had a great summer experience while David was in college. He signed on as an intern in our church, and uh, we gave him this fancy office in a storage room. <laughs> And uh, he was just a, a real asset. And I could see then his gifts blossoming for ministry. And it just deepened our friendship and our relationship. And I've been following him proudly, taking credit for every good thing he's done since then. So David was a real asset to your church? Is that? I did not say it that way. <laughs> That's probably true, too, though. Well, I better st- I better stop. <laughs> well, well, Dee. First of all, how how long have you been incorporating this type of creative sermon, the monologue sermon, and maybe tell us what some of your favorite characters that you have taken on are? Well, I I think this began with my home church. My home church used drama, uh, and my mom was very involved in directing drama in my home church. And so I got to play some bit parts as I was growing up and saw that that's a powerful communication tool. And uh, I think I inherited her love of it. When I went to my first pastorate in Henderson, North Carolina, a young man joined our staff who was a seminary student. He was helping us with music and youth. We didn't ask much of him, just music and youth, you know how those jobs are. But we were planning worship one day. He had found an anthem that really celebrated the theme of the prodigal coming home. And uh, I said, okay, I'll plan a sermon around that text. And he said, just as we were brainstorming, what if you became the prodigal that day? Mm. And I had never thought of that as an avenue for preaching. So I said, I'm going to try that. And the first one that I ever wrote to use sermonically was called The Journey Home. And uh, I've, I think I've done it everywhere I've been. And it was the prodigal telling his own story of his journey away and his journey home and his relationship with his father and his elder brother. And um, it was very well received. And, and I saw that this was kind of a fresh breeze blowing through the life of the church to hear the story in a fresh way. Do you usually... Um costume for your monologue sermons? Sometimes. Uh, I have some costumes that are in my closet at the church that I keep, sort of the generic biblical (laughs) costume is one, but others I've had made for certain characters. Um, You have to plan ahead to do that, of course, and uh, I, I just keep those. Some monologues lend themselves to just, you know, standing and talking, but others need uh, a little something extra to put you in a different era and maybe a little different mindset too. One of the things I've been reminded of, and I don't know where I read this or heard this, but um, it's a little a little quip that says, knowledge seeks to inform, wisdom seeks to inspire. And I think sometimes with our didactic approach to the sermon, we're seeking to inform Whereas a monologue sermon, you're trying to evoke something uh, deeper than just head knowledge, right? Yeah, it's it's more experiential. In some sense, unleashes the power of a testimony. Mm -hmm. You know, when people speak about personal experience, 
it has an authority and an impact that you don't have when you're just reporting someone else's experience. I remember when I was doing graduate work, I was in a seminar on faith and wellness, and we had to plan a presentation for the end of the semester as all the, you know, there were about four groups that needed to do this. Well, I pulled a coup because I invited my wife, who is a Crohn's disease patient, to come and um, be exhibit A in our presentation. She shared out of her own life experience about faith and wellness. And there was something that happened during her sharing that no one else touched in the course of the day. It, it had that personal authority. And I think to some degree, a monologue sermon allows the characters to speak more personally and makes them more real, more human, uh, maybe more accessible to listeners. Well, and you mentioned earlier how from the very first time that you preached that prodigal monologue sermon that it was clear something was was happening, something significant happened in that room. I'd be interested to hear what some of the feedback you've gotten from the people in the pews, maybe some of the best feedback you've gotten about monologue sermons and, and maybe, maybe a, a negative reaction. Well, I, I'll tell you a bad one first, sure. you know, but um, a friend of mine invited me to lead a series of renewal services in his church, a rural congregation here in South Carolina. And I saved for the last night a monologue um, that I call Born Again, that is Nicodemus. It's as though you walk up on Nicodemus at the break of day, and he is reflecting, almost overwhelmed about this meeting he's had with Jesus. And talking about that as a way to help people understand conversion and what it means to become a Christian. And uh, so I had my outfit. This is one of my best costumes that someone made for me. And I went through it, and after the service, a lady in the congregation walked up, and she looked rather confused. And her summation of it was, well, that was different. <laughs> and I said, well, thank you. That's what I was going for. <laughs> um, on the positive side, these are memorable. When I left my first congregation to go to the next church, a lady in the church wrote me a note, a goodbye note, and she said, one of the things I enjoyed about your ministry was I was never quite sure who you were going to be. <laughs> I hope in a dramatic sense. Then she named every single monologue that I had done in six years, which was probably eight or 10 at that mm -hmm. time, you know, something like that. And she didn't miss a one. And I said, I, I don't think people remember sermons very well as a rule. Sometimes by Tuesday, I don't remember <laughs> what I did the previous Sunday, but they do remember those characters. And so it's memorable. It also is more emotional. Many times there are tears. It's cathartic for people sometimes because the characters I pick are often people who've had, you know, incredibly profound experiences. And something that's been characteristic of all of them is there is a hush in the room during a monologue. It's not that my congregations have been particularly noisy, but there's a focus and a silence and an attentiveness that's just not there most of the time. And that can be very special to enhance the spirit of worship. So, yeah, 
all kinds of reactions, and most of them very mm-hmm. good. And at least I know I'm doing something different, you know. As you approach a monologue sermon, like when I approach my normal sermon, which is not a monologue sermon, I I usually have one central idea. And it's usually either something that I hope the congregation leaves with either to think about or to do. What do you hope is the takeaway from a monologue sermon? One of the challenges of monologue preaching is how do you make sure that you've applied it in some Uh way? Because that's not inherent in someone just sharing their story. So almost always when I'm sort of rounding third base, you know, it, most of it's behind Mm me. I'll say, you know, this isn't just about me Uh or, or maybe you've been here or have you thought about this? Maybe you need to take the step I took and try to be very, life application oriented with the close of it, because it is preaching. It's not just acting. It's preaching. And therefore, I think there needs to be a clear call to discipleship in in some way. And and yes, I do look for a central idea because telling a story without a a theme is just rambling (laughs) to me. And I, I try to pick up on the central idea of the text that was behind it, if it's a biblical character. Some monologues are not biblical characters, and so there's, I guess, more room for license hmm. there. But yes, I do try to get a central idea and, and and come to the end of it really thinking, how do I then invite the worshiper to step inside that experience and apply it to his or her life? I'm thinking a little bit about listeners, pastors, who might be inspired by this conversation and decide that they want to preach perhaps their first monologue sermon. And I'm wondering, obviously, delivering a monologue sermon is different from delivering a typical sermon, but the preparation obviously is quite different too. So where would you, what what does the run up to a monologue sermon look like? What does the preparation for you look like? And maybe how is it different now that you've got a number of these under your belt versus the first few that you planned and delivered? the preparation process is different. I I do encourage people to write out every word they intend to say, because until you've rendered it on the page, you're not sure you're going to render it in speech. Where many folks stumble and say, I can't do that, is they say, I cannot memorize five pages of text and deliver it. I hope I can describe this clearly, but I have never done a monologue the same way twice. Mm -hmm. I study the script. I review it numerous times. It's very helpful to talk through it out loud. That does help with memorization and familiarity. And when you hear it out loud, you may change the wording because it's more conversational. But what I get in my mind, I guess to use that baseball analogy again, or what are the bases that I've got to touch? What What are the movements of the story? And when I have that, the rest of it flows. As long as I remember, you know, Paul's going to go here. (laughs) Then he's going to visit there. And then he's going to be in jail, whatever it is. And sometimes I skip over sections because I forget them. I reword them. Sometimes I improve them. I've gone back and listened to the recording and changed the script for the next Mm -hmm. time. But the, the preparation time is a little more intense because... 
you know, you're out there. I usually do these without any notes. Folks can use notes. If you have any kind of projection equipment in your sanctuary, especially a monitor on the back wall, you can have reminders of what comes next, even if it's just the major movements of the story. But don't feel that you have to memorize it. It's, it's not like that. There are not other actors in the sense of waiting for you to say a specific line for them to know when to come in with their part. It's you. And so if you have to circle back around and pick up something you forgot, it's okay, you know, as long as you get to the end. Um, so take that monkey off your back. Yeah, that sounds like, you know, I preach without notes, and that sounds a very similar process. I do write out a, min, a manuscript, but that's what I intend to say, and usually what I end up saying is somewhere around there, you know. Uh, but I tape, uh, here's my little hack, I tape uh, sort of the movements, or I call them bullet points, on the front pews where nobody ever sits. So <laughs> so you could do that for a monologue sermon just as well, I imagine. Let me ask sure you this. You, you said not all of your monologue sermons are biblical characters. I know uh, we're recording the week before Palm Sunday, and I encourage David to try it this Sunday on Palm Sunday, becoming the donkey, uh, kind of using that theme this podcast. <laughs> He's not going to do that, though, I don't think, are you, Dave? I, I debated being a rock, being a rock <laughs> oh, the that was going to cry, cry out. out. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. Rock or donkey, I don't know. We'll see. Right. Uh-huh. I think I could make a pretty good rock. <laughs> right, right. So have you ever used an inanimate character? No. Okay. Not an inanimate character. Okay, yeah. Uh, nor, nor an animal. Okay. But, um, but some extra biblical characters, some non-biblical characters. What what were some of those? Well, yes. Well, um, this past Advent season, I had long heard, uh, most people called it the Shoemaker's Dream. It was based loosely on Leo Tolstoy's thing where love is, God is also. Mm-hmm of the man who believes Jesus is going to come see him Christmas day. He kind of hears it in a vision and all of these people come and see him and he treats them very lovingly, but he doesn't think Jesus has come. And at the end of the day, the voice comes again. It was me. Okay. This last advent, I did the shoemaker. I made a little shop on the platform. I had a window that I found in, you know, church storage, the treasures you can find in storage rooms. And I put a monitor behind it and created a snow scene. So it looked like you were looking through the window at snow, you know, had to make it wintry. Even in Columbia, South Carolina, you could dream of snow. Created the room. I pre-recorded what God supposedly said to the shoemaker. And then I I acted it out in costume. So that's not a biblical character, but it's a very biblical theme of, of, you know, what you've done for the least of these. That's really what the message of that is. Uh, one time I was a child speaking to his parents, the things kids would like to say to you if they could put it into words. And it's been interesting through the years as I've gotten older, uh, just what a reach it is to, uh, pull off being a child, but (laughs) it all begins for me finding like a huge football or hockey Jersey that will drape on me. Like kids always get their shirts too big so they can grow into them and talk to parents. So that was one that you know, was a, a bit out of the ordinary. I think the one I've gotten the most feedback on, I saw a newsletter, little devotional thing, you know, all these things that have a life of their own in church newsletters. But someone wrote a really uh, thoughtful piece about inconveniences that keep us from church that we put up with for our football team. Hmm. 
the seats aren't comfortable or it went too long or, you know, just a bunch of things like that. And I thought, wow, that, that really has something. So I created a character and, and uh, I didn't create a team, but I asked my son, Josh, to find the most obscure mascot, the strangest school mascot he could. Scottsdale, Arizona, uh, the community college, their mascot is the fighting artichoke. (laughs) And uh, so I made an artichoke shirt and hat and uh, put a bench like a a seat in a stadium and then came in from the back with music playing and like football scenery. And I was a fan. And my, my unseen friend who came with me to the game is nagging me about church And so I tell him the reasons why I've dropped out. But then in the next moment, you know, magically, right? I show how I'm putting up with all of those inconveniences for the sake of my team. So I ended it by taking off my cap and standing up. So it looks like, you know, I'm not the fan anymore. And I said, if you're a real fan, nothing will keep you from the things you love. And if you're not, anything will. Mm. That was the that's a good closer. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So anyway, that that's that's probably extra biblical. I don't remember <laughs> that story in the text. But that one if people name one monologue, they usually name mm-hmm. that one. Yeah. A lot of comedy in that one, really. Yeah. So one of the I've you know, like I've named, I've done a couple um in big church, if you will. Um and I've I've actually done I think a Mary Magdalene monologue at a sunrise service, but I've never had the nerve to do one like on Easter Sunday, even though I've been tempted to do that Mary Magdalene monologue for big church on Easter Sunday. Have you ever done any monologue sermons on a high holy day like Easter? Well, on most of the churches I've served have followed more a Passion Sunday than Palm Sunday kind of tradition. And uh, I have done one where I portrayed Barnabas, I'm sorry, Barabbas. Barabbas. Okay. Yeah, those two are a lot alike, <laughs> uh, but you have to keep them straight. I portrayed Barabbas and was reflecting on the the fact that I'm alive because he died. That's hmm. sort of the the wow, pilot's yeah. choice, and and took that to say that's what all of us can profess if we're Christians hmm. that that we are able to live because of his death. And that was very well received. Mm. Um, I've done Thomas one time on Easter Sunday. Okay, yeah. Um, moving from doubt and confusion into more clarity of faith by meeting the risen Christ for himself. Mm-hmm. And you can see the application of that. It's not it's not in the story, but in your experience where you'll find the evidence. And um, so, yeah, I have. I have. And a lot of them around Christmas. People love those in the Advent yeah. season. What One thing I would say about these is it's a nice change of pace in presentation because I think style of delivery can be monotonous, mm-hmm. just like tone of voice can be monotonous. And I often will situate one of these between two series of more traditional sermons that I'm doing, and it gives a little bit of a, of a break. It gives a different style of presentation. And in some sense, maybe almost cleans the palate for the next series that I'm going to begin. So this is kind of a change up pitch in in my preaching ministry. Yeah, I love that. And 
I think the people in the pews, it might be that they can almost relax a little bit with a monologue sermon, whereas the traditional didactic sermon, um, you know, they may be kind of sitting there wondering, <laughs> you know, how they're going to be challenged today. And today, you know, if it's a monologue sermon, they can kind of be like, oh, oh, I just can relax and enjoy the show. And then you can give them the one-two punch there at the end like you do. <laughs> well, I, I think there is an enjoyment component to it that's that's good. I think that's where the heightened attention comes from. And one of the places I've seen that, which is a great challenge in worship, is the attention of children who are in worship. Mm -hmm. They really tune into these much more, as you would expect, than they would traditional preaching. So I was, uh, I've been glad through the years that parents would come out and say, my little one was really with you today. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking, well, I hope you were too, <laughs> but I'm glad your little one was. And, and, and it was gratitude that they didn't have to spend the service policing, you know, they were instead able to engage the service more themselves. So uh, I, yeah. I once heard it, Thomas it, it, Troger say that we should preach so that we don't need to do a children's sermon so that they're all, all of our sermons are as engaging as we make a children's sermon. So, yeah, I think that's a great goal. I do. So if, if someone were to think, Hey, month down the road, I want to preach one of these. What would be the, the things that you would encourage them to do? Are there resources that you would point people to? Do you just have to dive in and, and start typing out the manuscript? What's the starting point and what are a couple of, of markers along the way? You know, it all begins with an idea. And, you know, my friend did me a great service those years ago when he planted the idea, what if you became the prodigal the Sunday we sing this anthem? And I, I think I've, I, I sort of go through life with my eyes open to those ideas. And uh, in Bible reading, when, when I'm studying or in my devotional reading, sometimes a character or an incident will pop out and I say, wow, what if, what if the person were able to speak that? I did one as, as Naaman and his humiliating experience of being told to go and dip in the muddy Jordan River seven times by this prophet who was too busy to come out himself and see him, you know. And to me, that brought that story to life more than it ever had been before to say, what did he think? What did he feel? What was it like as a person of status to be told to go bathe in a dirty river to get better, you know? I would say it just begins with an idea. Now, where to get those ideas from, from your Bible reading. Um, if, if folks are interested in this and would like a few ideas, I'd be happy to email them some scripts. It's not that you need to do my monologues. They're, everyone's are kind of different, I think, but they might give you an idea of how to start and kind of the framework. Give yourself plenty of time because writing this is different than getting a sermon together. There's more to it. Talk through it a number of times. And then enjoy it. I think one of the things that really gives these life is if the listener knows the proclaimer is enjoying this. Now, not all topics are enjoyable, but that it's meaningful to you, that, that you believe you've brought a gift for them mm -hmm. today. Um, that's a little harder to do the first couple of times out because you wonder how it's going to go. But... I believe most churches are hungry for creativity mm -hmm. and 
you know, my church is a fairly traditional Baptist church. And no one has ever looked down their nose at even the wildest of these. <laughs> I, like I said, if I can do the fighting artichoke, I can do anything, you know, there. So well, there's a sense. That's what I would say. Yeah. Yeah. There's a sense that we should be embodying all of the messages, all the sermons that we deliver. And, and this may be one of the best ways to fully embody the message is to just become the character it, it is incarnational preaching right. in a sense. And um, the characters in scripture or anywhere can suffer from being two-dimensional. Mm. And when you bring them off the page, of course, you're, you're adding some things and you have, to, you have to take liberties to fill out a story and, and make it human. But it's not a two-dimensional thing anymore. It, it's a living, breathing person who's sharing with you. And and that's the way the gospel is best shared. You know, it's a person-to-person experience. Well, thank you, Dee. Is there anything else you would want to say about monologue preaching for our listeners today? Anything we kind of failed to ask? I would just say be brave. Give it a try. You don't have to be an actor. You don't have to have theater experience. I think this could be one of the holy experiments that can increase the scope of your ministry and the impact of your proclamation. I think it's worth the trouble to give it a try. Well, Dee, you've given us a great foundation. You've certainly taught me a few things today, and I know that our listeners will learn something and maybe even be inspired to go out and give this a a go in their own uh, ministry setting. So thank you so much for being a part of the podcast today. Well, it's been great to talk to you about something I really love and really enjoy. Well, that's it for this episode of Pastor Life Podcast from Pinnacle Leadership Associates. We are so grateful for Dee Vaughn and his uh, willingness to come on and teach us something that we didn't know. And we look forward to bringing some other Pinnacle teammates on to future episodes. Rhonda and I are ready to learn, and we hope you are too. You can learn more about Pastor Life and about Pinnacle Leadership Associates by visiting our website at pinlead.com. That's P-I-N-N-L-E-A-D.com. You can also find contact information for Reverend Dr. D. Vaughn or for David or for me on that website, um, as well as our session notes from this episode. Well, Rhonda, I think that as soon as we get off of the pod recording today, I'm going to go and look for that donkey costume. I think you'll make a great donkey this Palm Sunday. (laughs) I'd make a great donkey any day.